Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Atmosphere is Electric. It's always electric. Uh, I'm Rich. How are you, Fran? I'm very well, mate. How are you? Well, I'm, I'm ready for the Premier League to come back. I'm not going to lie. It feels like it's been a long time since I've watched some Premier League football. And if I'm honest, I haven't really got involved in the international break this time. It feels like it's been a bit of a low-key one. I watched a bit of the Australia game and I watched all of the Italy game, which for the first time I actually enjoyed an international game. But I agree, having the Premier League away for, it felt like months, didn't it? Having it away for a period of time, I really don't like the international break. So yeah, please for it to come back. I must. I, I, did, I did fall into the Rugby World Cup, although the Rugby World mm. Cup feels like it's been going on for seven years. Uh, <laughs> it was like it's been going on since the middle of August. But I thought those, the quarterfinals of the Rugby World Cup were absolutely phenomenal, weren't they? So I agree. I don't really watch a lot of rugby, but I did watch those two quarterfinals, and I, especially the France game. I was absolutely mesmerised. The pace they were playing at, but yeah, that yeah, I agree. That was they were incredible. It's a bit of a shame, really, that they ended up being quarterfinals and not finals or semi-finals. Yeah, absolutely. I thought you're right. That that France South Africa first half was almost like it was being played on times two the speed. Like it was mm. like, like how how are these bodies these huge colossal human beings moving so quickly and the skill and the, the tackles and, every, and, and it felt like every time you turn away there was another try going in it was like oh my god like, and of course the second half didn't live up to that because it was it was too much but yeah you're right and and you know obviously this weekend Friday Saturday a couple of rugby world cup semi-finals and, and somehow England are there which feels like they've had a very easy route doesn't it I mean yeah to beat Fiji to get to a semi-final feels like you've cheated a little bit yeah they've had such an easy route but I mean watching that France South Africa game I was just thinking we have absolutely no chance. It doesn't matter which one we get. We are going to get stuff. So, I mean, you watch us go through now, but I can't see it. Yeah, and, and obviously the, the Cricket World Cup isn't going particularly well either with England losing somehow to Bangladesh as well on top of New Zealand. So, it looks like we're handing that one back to, to, to India or, or one of the other teams. But to be fair, New Zealand look, look very good at the moment. But, uh, so, let's let's go back to the England Italy game. Obviously, uh, if I'm honest with you, I thought Italy... Uh, we're going to beat England, if I'm honest with you. I, th- I thought the team selection at the start with, with Calvin Phillips and Trippier playing left back, I thought it looked a little bit sort of skew with. And actually, you know, d- do we need to think about that longer term in the sense that, you know, going into a, the Euros next summer with, with potentially just a couple of players out, you've got Calvin Phillips playing in, as a CDM who was playing literally no time for Man City at all and Kieran Trippier as a left back. There must be a better option, surely, that we can find. I know Ben Chilwell and Luke Shaw are obviously injured, but there must be somebody in the, in, in England that can play left-back that's better than Kieran Trippier in that role, surely. I, I really like Kieran Trippier, but as a right-back, when you're a right-back, and, you know, I mean, there is a few right-footed left-backs around, but they are very rare. But when you're having to cut inside all the while, the move sort of peters out. Like, you need to whip a ball in if you're a full-back bombing forwards. So, yeah, I mean, there must be some of the left-backs around. I mean, I'm thinking of even just the Palace left-back, Tariq Mitchell. Like, Nothing particularly special, but he's a left back. Like there must be some other left backs out there. I mean, you've got Tarek Lamptey, haven't as well, haven't you? He's starting to come back, so there there is options out there. I just don't know whether they're they're ready yet. But yeah, I agree. I mean, and I messaged you on the Phillips selection. I think that's an absolute disgrace that he's starting for England, let alone let alone being in the squad when you've got other players that can play in that position who are starting regularly for their club, and somebody like James Will Price who doesn't even get in the squad. I think that's a disgrace. Yeah, if you're James Ward-Prowse, you're probably scratching your head right. He's had an unbelievable start to the season. Uh, goals, assists, you know, helping run that midfield at West Ham that we've spoken about it glowingly in terms of what they're doing moving forward. And you can't even get in the squad and Calvin Phillips. You know, and again, is this though just as simple as Gareth Southgate, when he came into the role, you know, at the time, probably felt quite right to say, I'm going to pick players based on form. Feels like the right thing to say. And actually, it's just come back to bite him on the backside because he's now play, picking players that are his favourites which every England manager has always done through the animals of time anyway. 
Yeah, I, mean, I, I can completely understand why he keeps picking people. I and mean, Maguire's an example, isn't he? They actually haven't let England down. But I think mm. Phillips was the worst player for England on the pitch. You could see he was rusty. Should have been sent off, in my opinion, as well. So, could have let England down. I think, you know, like you said, it's he, coming back to bite him, that comment is, when you've got people who are on form, who do deserve to be in there. I mean, we were talking about Jared Bowen for a while, weren't we? Not being selected. That was criminal with the form that he's shown over probably 18 months. Same with Madison at previous times, couldn't get in the England squad, showing great form. I think you do have to pick these players on form because it just sends out a message to them that regardless of how well you're playing, if you've got somebody like Phillips who isn't playing, you're just not going to get picked. So it sends out the wrong message for me. The other thing for me is, is do you think England need, and we've had this conversation before, but I think it's, it's interesting. Declan Rice does the role for Arsenal where he's essentially the one pivot, if you like, if that's you know the six, however we want to term it these days. And he has two players that are, are, are more advanced. And he does it really well. And it was only a couple of weeks ago, you know, we were all talking about the job he did against Man City in that position and, and how well he did. Do we really need to play with with Rice, Phillips, Rice, Henderson? and then, But could we not go Rice, Bellingham, and then get a, somebody, whether it's a Madison or a Foden, in, in that, that role as well, to really help us unpick some of these teams that are going to... Because the Australia game, they basically banked up, didn't they? You know, two fives, certainly a four or five and a one at least. And actually, to have that extra attacking player on the pitch, I feel like it would give England an extra dimension and help them beat the teams more comfortably that we're expecting to to, to beat in the Euros next summer. I agree entirely. I think when when you've got some of the players at your disposal that we have, like your Phil Foden's, your Madison's, your Grealish's, to not have some of them on the pitch in the place of Calvin Phillips, to have two sitters, and I'm not even just talking, you know, in big games. Sometimes in big games, I can understand having two sitters, but. Every single game we play this formation. We played Australia, who, let's be honest, are pretty poor. You know, they shouldn't be troubling in England nine, 99 times out of 100. And we're still playing with two sitters. Like for me, when you're playing teams who you expect to beat, you put your players on the pitch who will go and beat them. For a long period of time, I didn't think England against Australia cut, cut through them. And for me, it's because of that formation. You just said you've got two people sitting. They didn't have enough people passing between the lines. And we did look heavily reliant on a couple of players, which, you know, when, when we're coming up against Italy, having those two sitters, again, for me, didn't work. Bellingham was amazing in that role, but he, he was getting isolated up front by himself, wasn't he? I think it was just the fact that he was so good by himself that we sort of broke through. If you put Madison next to him, there'd have been more space for Bellingham, more space for Madison, you know, or even having Grealish and putting Foden in there. So, yeah, I, I think so. I think we've got to start attacking teams a bit more to actually go and win a tournament because the current formation for me doesn't work. Well, though. No. As much as we're bemoaning the left-back position, I thought it was great that England managed to beat what you would call you know, one of the historical superpowers without Saka. Uh, I thought that was a really good sign that actually, you know, from an attacking point of view, I thought Harry Kane uh, looked phenomenal again. Obviously, mm-hmm. Bellingham obviously has is, is become a goal-scoring, goal-creating machine. Uh, and it was nice to see Rashford get back on the score sheet. Hopefully, that gives him some confidence going back into to the league form. But I thought it was, it was a positive sign that England did what they did, scoring three goals without Saka on the pitch. Yeah, and, and like I said, our criticism has been that when he comes up against, you know, like you said, superpowers or good good sides is that generally we lose. So for a change, you know, we've done the double on Italy, haven't we, in the Euro qualifying. So it is a nice change. However, Italy aren't the same team that they were when the beaters in the Euros, are they? So they do look like they are going downhill. Um, but credit where it's due, we have, we've done the double over them. So fair play. Yeah, when you're playing Italy, thing with Skamaka as a centre-forward and El Shawawi, you know, who, who you know... <laughs> I was actually in the car uh, coming back from coaching with, with with some of the boys, and and, and interestingly, they went, "Does he still even play football? Like, you know, where is he at?" That, I mean, that Italy team does look like it's 
some way away from even like Chiesa not being in the squad. You know, like it, it looked on paper very weak, didn't it? Yeah, even just the, even just the centre half, Shaqiri's yeah. and Benucci's. Obviously, yeah, yeah. they've retired from international duty now. So just even the, the, the historical back line of Italy, which was impregnable, wasn't it? You couldn't score against Italy. You look at that and it just looks weak, doesn't it? Like So, yeah, yeah. even though they, we have beaten Italy, they're not the same team. So for me, there's still a, a question mark over Gareth Southgate and Leiden. He's not going to change, let's be honest. We're not going to change the manager. But for me, I think there is still a question mark there when we could be against good sides. So a, a perfect segue that we hadn't planned on that leads us into the Premier League weekend. And, and I think it's we probably wouldn't have spoken about this game uh, otherwise, but obviously talk about Italy. Uh, the breaking news this week is obviously Tonali uh, has been caught uh, gambling on fixtures that he's been playing in. Uh, it seems like they're, they're, there's becoming a real problem, doesn't it, with, with young men in football gambling. And actually, obviously, he's going to have a really, really long-term ban here. And obviously, you know, the interesting thing is Newcastle, claiming they had no idea and I, I can only imagine that's true because you wouldn't invest that amount of money on someone you're going to be missing for I mean he's got to be out for surely 12 to 18 months isn't he? I think when when uh, Ivan Tony's been banned for as long as he did was it nine months he got um, but then you've seen other players in the football pyramid getting lenient bans compared to Ivan Tony. I think it's only fair that he gets the same ban as Ivan Tony. Um if they did just gave the ban to Ivan Tony and you know they're trying to make an example of him when another high-profile player comes, if he just gets two or three months or, or even a fine, like, I think it's just unfair. So I think they have to follow suit. So yeah, I expect to see a long ban. And where does that leave Newcastle? Because obviously Newcastle, you know, they've made this signing off the back of being in the Champions League, looking to kind of maintain Champions League status for next season. Obviously, you know, came in with a, with a, with a much heralded kind of approach to recruitment, you know, a good young Italian midfield player. Is, is, could this, can you see this derailing Newcastle this year? Can you see this being a real problem for Newcastle? Or do you think they've got the strength in depth to be able to kind of just plow on and, and not make it an issue? I think they've got the strength in depth for it to not be an issue. However, you, when you look at their major signings in the summer, Harvey Barnes and Tonali, both of them now aren't starting. So their 11 hasn't improved at all. So I think it comes back to if there is injuries in the squad, they could, they could now go on and struggle because you're taking those two players out who haven't started and made an impact. Um, however, like you said, the, the team that they had last year performed really well. So I don't think it's as much as, as an issue. But if they do get some injuries, it could, it could become an issue. And they've got a couple of, you would say, nice fixtures to come back to. And they obviously, they start with the three o'clock kickoff against Palace this week. And then next week, they end up uh, playing Wolves away on the Saturday. So again, you would say uh, before they didn't have a, a massive game against Arsenal, uh, sort of early November. But you know, if, if, if Newcastle could pick up six points from those two games, that that will sweep some of that noise under the table, won't it? It will, it will kick them back up the league and and you know potentially put them in a position where actually they they can be talked about as being Champions League hopefuls again, because actually no one's talking about them in that sense. And obviously losing a player like Tenali, I think could if they don't get a win on Saturday, could really start to become a bit of a snowball problem and cause them some bigger issues as they go through the season. Mm, yeah, especially if somebody like Gromarish gets injured. If he gets injured, that midfield to me looks looks very weak. Um, yeah, I mean, if if they, do, if they can pick up two wins, so we've both said that we don't think they're going to qualify for Champions League. But if they can pick up two wins in games that they should win, you know, keep building that confidence, and they could get on a roll. So yeah, I think the next two fixtures are important for them. And do you think the football world needs to have a look at the amount of interaction it has with gambling companies? Uh, you know. Now, I know for a fact that when I was a kid or when I was younger, 
players used to have a gamble, okay, but but it was it was a little bit harder to trace because obviously it wasn't done digitally. They would give their money to a power would go into a bookies to put the bet on. And so so this isn't a new problem. Let's not kid ourselves and think that it, you know. Firstly, it's just easier to detect, and secondly, there's a lot more you can gamble on. You know, back in the old days, really, it'd be the three fifteen at Kempton or who's going to win the, the the you know the, the Merseyside derby. It wasn't how many cards, how many throw-ons, how many corners, all that kind of stuff. The way the game has gone now. So do do you think that football needs to to have a a blanket ban on gambling sponsorship, or do you think they need to invest really heavily on supporting these young men on not making the wrong decisions? I think it's more education rather than rather than the um, like the sponsorship. So to me, like if you see Sky Bet on a shirt as an example, the first thing I for me, I don't look at it and go, do you know what I'm going to have a bet on that? Like that that doesn't influence me. I think what influences people now is when you go on social media as an example and you see accounts where they're going, boom, I've just won three thousand pounds, you know, and almost saying I've got a surefire way for you to win money. So it's, it's almost drawing in people who are probably you know weak minded, who are probably a bit gullible, naive who think, oh, I just took a five run, I'm going to turn over profit. So I, I think there just needs to be a look into what sort of things are out there around gambling and then educating people to say, you know, it's, to me, it's okay to have a little flutter here and there. You know, five, like we do, £5 challenge, it's, it's nothing, isn't it, £5? But if all of a sudden you, you're spending, you know, well beyond your means, 50 quid, 500 quid, or, or the 10 grand, whatever it is, yeah, I, I just think it's more education rather than rather than the sponsorship. I don't, for me, the sponsorship doesn't influence gambling. I think it's more educating people. It's, it's it's an interesting debate and one that I think will become more and more relevant as as the as the weeks and the month pass. Obviously, you know, we've now had certainly two Premier League stars that have, are about to or have had a ban. You know, it's, it's affecting teams. You know, these teams can't. You know, Brentford can't afford to have even Tony out of their squad for as long as he's out of their squad on for non-football related issues. Like if he's torn a hamstring or you know you get an injury in football, that happens. You know, he's been banned for a long time for something that that's not the club's fault. And actually, you know, I think this is where the clubs are going to need to really make sure that they've got some strict policing processes around their players and what their players do in their spare time moving forward and potentially have it written into their contracts that if you're caught gambling, you know, I, I think this is what way the business is going to go moving forward because something has to be done. Yeah, I think when you when you look at um you know a few of the stories that were coming out, there was one that's come from Gabby Ogbonlahor, which obviously is a good few years ago now. Um, he was saying the first thing that he did when he went home was play online poker, and the main reason for that was, oh, the main reason for that was um, that he was bored. He's come home, he's got all this money in his pocket, and he was bored. So yeah, I, I do think it, it's a lot about education, isn't it? But then, like I said, clubs need to try and get a, a grip on the players, and even just to help help them in a sense. Whether you know, the, like in Tenali's sense, he's moved to a new a new city, a new country. Probably doesn't know the language. Like, can they help him out as much as possible? Can they probably mix him up with some Italian people so he can you know get introduced into the city so he doesn't become bored and resorts to gambling. Yeah, as I've told the story many times, uh, Premier League football player transferred uh, from a London team to a Welsh team. And my good friend, best man at my wedding, used to drive to Wales uh, twice a week to go out for dinner with him because he had no friends, no one to speak to. He would stay behind. Premier League football player would stay behind and train with the under-18s, the under-16s, just for something to do. Mm. He was living in a hotel and he was that bored. That any Any interaction with a human was he craved and, and you can imagine those guys very quickly going well I'll open my phone my laptop whatever it is 
and it, it's going to pass the time. It's going to give me some sort of adrenaline rush, isn't it? some sort of adrenaline kick. And then you get addicted and then you, you start chasing the bet because you've lost a couple. You start betting mm. on Indonesian third division women's football and before you know it, you've got yourself a problem. I think I think you've probably hearing a lot more about gambling and people being addicted. And I think COVID's got a, lot, a, a big part to play in this where people were locked away. And it was, you know, the famous one was Belarus, wasn't it? The Belarusian League was still running. So people were, had nothing to do with sitting at home. And if you, you, if you were used to having a five, all of a sudden you were probably putting five or ten quid on a Belarusian game you had no idea about. So I think COVID has got a big part to play in this as well. And we've got to try and reverse that mentality. Yeah, I think before we move on to, to this week's fixtures, I think I think it's really important to just uh, make the point that if you are struggling with anything, and again, gambling is just a different form of addiction, whether it's smoking, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drugs, gambling, it's the same problem, just manifests itself in a different way. Reach out to somebody in your network and have that conversation and start the process of trying to get better. You know, it's not an easy journey. If you're addicted to anything, it's not an easy journey, but you have to start making that first step towards getting better, whether you're a Premier League football player or whether you work in the counter at you know Tesco's, whatever you're doing, the problem remains the same and it's the same solution, but you have to make that first step uh, and bring it to people's attention before it becomes a massive problem because obviously gambling can very quickly get out of hand in terms of the amount of money that you're spending and losing, which can then have a knock-on effect. So uh, if you're out there and you're, you are struggling with that, please reach out to somebody. And even if you want to send us a message and you know reach I know that we do a city £5, give £5 to a stranger, uh, challenge every week uh, you know we're not trying to encourage anybody to do anything that they can't afford to and keep it fun keep it loose uh, and certainly make sure that you, you start to pick up on those warning signs and this week we, we come back don't we to some some really big games and some really great uh, sort of conversation piece and the first one we have to start with is obviously the Merseyside derby you know Liverpool hosting Everton at maybe a good time for Everton uh, how do you see this one? You know, obviously, Everton had a good result last week. It looks like Liverpool might have a couple of injuries. It looks like Robertson might be out off the back of his injury for, for Scotland. Can you? See, is there a way that Everton could get anything out of this game? So me personally, I do, I do think Everton are going into it in a good moment. I think they've probably got a couple of players who are injury or injury prone, you know, another couple of weeks training, fitness under the belt. So I think they're probably coming into this in the best situation they have in quite a while, to be honest. However, all I can see is a home win here. I think uh, Liverpool, even though, like you said, they've got a couple of injuries, I think they've got a bit more too too good squad depth at the minute to be able to not win this game. I think they've got a lot of attacking firepower, which they do look like they're going to score goals in every single game, don't they? So for me, home win, um, and I think pretty comfortable as well. Is this one of them games that actually, you know, I don't want to use the word free hit, but, but in many ways, it's like roughly, no one's expecting Everton to get anything out of this game. Obviously, Liverpool are expected to kick on and, and, and become, uh, you know, challenging for the title. But actually, that early kickoff, the first game back, you know, Liverpool have had loads of players away on international duty, some injuries, as I said. You know, ev- I, I see Everton having a chance of making this really awkward and uncomfortable for Liverpool and, and, and potentially keeping it tight. You know, don't go, don't concede a goal early doors, keep it tight, keep getting the ball in the box, make it ugly, make it scrappy and, and potentially pick up, you know, a, a really ugly sort of 1 0 win because Liverpool are conceding goals, right? Every game, even when they're winning games, if, if they're winning three, they're winning 3 1, they're not winning 3 0 anymore. And actually, that, that Liverpool defence looks like, you know, with Calvert Lewin and uh, Beto, Beto, Beto. So, uh, you know, you, I can see them giving them some, some some interesting challenges. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I I do think Everton will score. Like you said, Liverpool don't seem to be the same defensive force that they have been in previous seasons. Van Dijk doesn't look the same player. Um, I do think they are heavily reliant on Alisson at the moment as well, by the way. And in goal, he's been superb this year. Um, 
Yeah, I, I do think Everton, like you said, it is a free hit. We've spoken about mini leagues within the league, haven't we? This, like you said, this is a free hit to Everton, as other teams, in, you know, down the bottom of the league. It'll be a free hit to them when they play as well. So even just picking up a point is going to be a great result for them. So yeah, I can see them trying to stifle Liverpool. Like I said, going back to the old Sean Dyche mentality, where he was at Burnley, sort of sitting in deep, getting a lot of players behind the ball, and then like you said, having Beto or Cavalier up front, and then trying to break. So I do think they'll make it awkward for them, but I think. Just Liverpool's quality will probably tell in the end. And, and Liverpool actually have got, if, if, if they play their card, you know, if, if they get this right, they've actually got quite a nice run of fixtures, which could really see them, you know, Man City, Arsenal, potentially, you know, having some tougher games. You know, Liverpool play Everton, which we're obviously talking about. They then actually have uh, Notts Forest at home. Uh, they then actually have uh, Luton away. And before you know it, actually, you get those three games under your belt, you get three wins on, on the table. And before you know it, then they host Brentford at home. Of course, the host, they host Brentford at home, of course. they. And, and so they come into the, the, the big game on the 25th of November away at Man City with potentially four or five wins ahead of Man City in the table, full of confidence, get their key players back. And, and that, that game on the 25th of November becomes a championship six-pointer, doesn't it? It could become a massive fixture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, easier said than done, isn't it, on paper, just going win, win, win. But if they do do that, Man City seems to be dropping points as well and they've got a bit of a tougher run, haven't they? So before you know it, they could be four or five points clear, they said, if if they do what we think they would do on paper. Um, but you, can, you, know, you could say that the same about other teams as well, couldn't you? But however, that's what you've got to do, is you've got to look at those run of fixtures and go win, 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 win. Do what you need to do, Liverpool. Go and score goals like you've been doing. If you can sure up at the back, I think, even though we said easier said than done on paper, could become reality, couldn't it? And then, like you said, you go into a massive game like that, and the pressure is on the opposition. Man City, you know, next three, next three or four fixtures. Obviously, they've got Brighton at the weekend, which we'll come on to in a second. Brighton, uh, then they play Man United, and then they've got Chelsea as well. So they've they've got a, a, an easier Bournemouth at home in, in there as well. But they then go to Chelsea, and by that time, you know, Chelsea could be a completely different team. Chelsea could have some wins under the, their belt, and they could look like a different team. So actually, you know. And then they go into the Liverpool game. So actually, Man City, the next five games, tough run. You, you could see them dropping points in four of those five games. It wouldn't be a surprise if they drew at the weekend. It wouldn't be surprise. You know, it's going to be really. It's such a shame that the Man City Brighton game is not on the telly. Three o'clock kickoff, of course. And actually, that's interesting in itself. How how much how often Man City become the three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday? Actually, which is rare for the champions. Uh, but you know, like I say, the week after the Man the Man the Manchester derby, which. You know, that that can go either way. That's a that's a toss of a coin, no matter who's on top of you know in, in over history. And then, like I say, they're, they're not a million miles away from that Liverpool game. It, it's a really tough run for, for Man City, actually. Yeah, so so Man City's tough run of games, like you said, um, they're not on a good run of form at the minute. And a couple of weeks ago, you probably looked at that run of fixtures and gone, they'll probably win most of those games. But now we've seen a little wobble in them. We think that they're potentially weaker, and they look like they've got weak spots in their side look at that run of fixtures and you do think that they could drop points. I mean, you look at Brighton, Brighton always score goals, don't they? So there's potential there. And I think they've become a bit of a bogey side for Man City over the uh, past recent season. So, yeah, I, I think um, when you look at the two runs of fixtures, you can see Liverpool getting on top and then it comes to that clash between them. It could be that they go into that with far more confidence than Man City. Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing for me with Liverpool is that you know that they have got so many options as we spoke about last week from a midfield point of view. They're scoring goals from midfield. They've got so it doesn't seem to matter really who's they put as one of the front three, whether it's Diaz, Gakpo, Jota. You know they've got goals from 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 all over the pitch. Obviously, Schlobberschlei's come and done a great job. Their midfield has, has been completely re- reinvented, and so so I can I, you know I can always see Liverpool scoring 
plenty of goals. And as you've said, Alisson's kept them in some games and, and actually kept some of the scores down and, and he looks like he's fantastic. But you know, Man-, Man City are also struggling, aren't they, as well, in the sense that, you know, th- there's people talking about dropping Haaland out of their fantasy team. And I know that's not how we should judge success, but, you know, it's, it's a really interesting point that, that you know, he's, as we said last week, he still scored loads of goals, but but something doesn't feel right there, does it, at the moment? And actually, you know, you, you could see Brighton rocking up there and, and outplaying Man City at Man City. And that's that's not been done in years, is it? Mm, I, you could definitely see Brighton having more possession of the ball, can't you? Which sounds an odd thing to say, but... Just the way that Man City, we spoke about last week, the way that Man City have gone about things in recent times is they used to be like this attacking juggernaut, didn't they? And I mentioned last week that they'd have, they were a corner juggernaut, which they don't seem to do. They are a bit of a different beast this, you know, these days. And we've mentioned that they, you know, the big lumps at the back that they've got, and you know, Gavardio's come in, which adds to that. But he, I don't think he's more of that, you know, they used to have Cancelo and Walker bombing down the wings, didn't they? Being a threat. And from a fantasy point of view, they'd be nicking loads of attacking points. They don't do that anymore. You, the points that they get are all defensively if they keep a clean sheet. So they are a different beast. And losing those players like Gundogan and stuff, I think he, he used to pick up a lot of points as well, didn't he, from an attacking sense. The replacements in Kovacic and Nunes aren't going to be as fruitful picking up points. So I, when I just look at them, I don't really see sort of what they're trying to do at the minute. They they try to keep possession of the ball as they always have done. They, you know, they play in that 3-2-3-2 um, formation, passing through the lines, very similar to what Brighton do, passing through the lines, but they don't seem to be as penetrative as they used to be. Um, and whether that's, you know, the whole is Kevin De Bruyne, I'm not sure, but I don't see them tearing teams apart now. So when you when I'm doing predictions, I don't think it's very really to see a three or four nil prediction. I can, you know, I can see them scoring a goal, two goals because they've still got quality. So yeah, I just think they're a bit of a different beast to what they used to be. And, and interestingly, the stats backed up. So, you know, played eight, scored 17, conceded six. So, again, they're, they're almost scoring two a game and almost conceding one a game. And that feels about right now, doesn't it? Like, you know, most... And, and by the way, that's actually come off the back of them not that long ago, pumping Fulham 5-1 and West Ham 3-1. So, actually, you know, you look at their fixtures and obviously a lot of, their, a lot of that, those 17 goals came in those two games. Eight, eight of them came in the, the Fulham and West Ham game. I think what's interesting so about those two fixtures, though, is those two teams directly set up to defend against them and allowed them to have possession and almost you know attack, 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 which is going to mean more goals will pop up, uh, will come. I think the teams that have actually given them a bit of an attacking, so Wolves as an example, they really pressed them, didn't they? And then defensively they counterattacked them. I think the teams that have done that, you're not going to see as many goals. So where you are sitting in, you know, the lesser teams are going to sit in more. I think you will see those goals, but. I can't remember the last game where I thought Man City tore a team apart through like you know attacking fluent football. I can't really remember that last game. And if if you were to press me, it's probably from a, a season or two seasons ago. So yeah, I think it just depends on the formation. Yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be a really interesting game uh, to see how Brighton try and unpick this this puzzle of, of how do you play against Man City because you know Deserby seems like he's only got one way of playing. He definitely is not going to set up to defend. Is he? he's definitely going to look to to create new passages of play. And actually, he, his build up play was changed for the Liverpool team. So that that's that's a really interesting sign for me is that he's now starting to adapt that style of play based on who they're playing. Mm. And actually. You know, it's like as I said, it's a real shame for me. This isn't like on a two o'clock on a Sunday where we can all sort of sit down and, and just watch the, you know, really get into that kind of the, the, the tactical battle because this for me could be one of the most interesting. Even if it's a nil-nil, I think it's going to be a really interesting way of how both managers combat each other. Mm. I think the the games on TV is, is definitely something to look at as well. Like when you look at some of the games that have been picked for, for TV recently over some of them that haven't, I think it is a bit 
which is shocking really, isn't it? Like I said, Man City Brighton's a, ge- a great game, which I think most neutrals would like to watch. When you look at, I mean, the, the late kickoff on Saturday, Sheffield Man U. It's got nothing about it. Like it's not a local derby. It's not a top of the table clash. It's like, well, it could be a relegation clash if Man U keep going the way they are. But it's not a relegation clash. Like it's just a nothing game. It's been picked because Man, it's Man U. Whereas actually, you look at the, some of the fixtures in there. Forest Luton's a, a far better fixture. That's a relegation clash, isn't it? Like you know, Brentford Burnley, the way both of them go. Bournemouth Wolves, they're all relegation clashes. Possible six pointers. So I, I think the the TV companies need to have a serious look at some of the fixtures they are putting on because some of them don't mean anything. Yeah, it, it, you, it, they are head scratching, aren't they? And, and why we need to have only one game on a Sunday? There's definitely a two o'clock gap for me on a Sunday. I appreciate the Champions League, all that kind of stuff. There's other stuff going on, but yeah, for me, you know, you definitely, definitely could have had one of those fixtures on a two o'clock on the, on the Sunday. And, and for me, the Chef you man, you is more of a two o'clock Sunday kickoff. You know, bring the Man City Brighton game back in the evening, and, and, and people would really, for me, you know, to go for Chelsea Arsenal. Man City Brighton a Saturday evening would be a fantastic way to spend your Saturday night in front of the telly watching some good quality football, wouldn't it? Yeah, agreed. And like I said, even just some of the other games, I understand you've got to get some teams, you have to have a certain amount of TV time, but surely there's games which would mean more yeah. to them, which you know their fans would tune and watch on telly than just a nothing clash against United. I know it's United, but I'd, I bet they'd sooner watch Sheffield Luton on a Saturday night, which means the world to them. From a, It's a massive six-pointer. Yeah, absolutely. But anyway, uh, we, we've digressed, and I suppose these guys know, or, or people know more more about what they're doing with their programming point of view. But it just seems weird that Man City, normally, if you'd been the champions and playing lovely football like they have done, normally you're on the telly certainly every other week, aren't you? But but actually, I think Man City have had more three o'clock Saturday kickoffs than any other team so far this season, which is a bit a bit unusual, really. Yeah. So obviously. Uh, Man City Brighton is, is is a big game in terms of for both teams European aspirations. Do you think Brighton can can maybe nick a draw at this, or do you see Man City having a, a comfortable home win? I think Man City will win, but I can see Brighton scoring definitely, and I can see them causing them problems. You know, Man City have wobbled in recent weeks, so I think it's going to be an interesting game, and I think Brighton are a really good side that can cause them problems. Yeah, I think Brighton. Personally, they've had some injury problems, haven't they? They've had some people that where they've been sort of missing some key players, and again, having lost all them players, and someone that we spoke about many times on here, uh, I don't think they can afford to kind of go into that game not fully at full strength. So I'm hoping that some of those players come back into the into the fold to make it. Because again, for me, stylistically, this is a game I'm really excited about to see how those two managers collide and, and what they can bring to the table. So uh, obviously, we're not going to ask you for your predictions just yet, based on the fact we're, we're not only are we doing predictions, but we've got the, the, the challenger that's been big and brave on social media that's come out of the woodwork to to, to, to lay claim to your throne. So hold fire, but we'll, we'll come back to that. Now, obviously, two teams that we've spoken a lot about uh, in the last few weeks for different reasons, Chelsea host Arsenal on the Saturday night 5.30 kickoff. And again, this is another really, really fascinating game for me, both in terms of to get a sense of where both teams actually are at, to, to get a sense of, you know, is it as bad as people think? Is it Chelsea? Is it as good as people think? Is it Arsenal? Uh, this for me could be a real benchmark for both of those teams. How do you see how do you see that working out? What do you see happening on Saturday night? I think this, like you said, is a really interesting game. Like you said, Chelsea have picked up. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we'd have said that they're really in trouble. Um, they've put a couple of wins together, haven't they? And they've climbed the table. Um, and it does look like their form is picking up. Arsenal have been performing really well. Obviously, just beat Man City. So, like you said, this is a real um, acid test for both teams. I think that 
probably shows you which way their season's going to go. If Arsenal want to win the league, they have to beat Chelsea. And if Chelsea want to get into the top four, they have to pick up points from teams, the top teams like Arsenal. So I think it's one of the, the games where you would say Arsenal need to win, but Chelsea definitely need to not lose. The, the, the injuries, I think, could have... Obviously, not sure whether Saka's going to be back or not. It looks like he possibly won't be. But obviously, also, Chelsea are missing their full-backs. And actually, you might end up with Kukurea on the right side, which for me feels like Martinelli could maybe do some damage down there. I, I think potentially this game could be a, a game of, of who's missing as much of who's playing. Yeah, there's, there's some big misses, aren't there, for both sides. Um, I think it probably hurts Arsenal the most at the minute. Saying that, because Chelsea, I mean, I don't think Chelsea have got that good of a squad. So missing a couple of players, I don't think it's going to hurt them as much. Whereas Arsenal are missing, you know, Saka for me is one of the best players in the league. It's going to really hurt them. I think Martinelli is back. He obviously came back, didn't he, on the weekend side. So expect him to start. So, yeah, I, I can see probably the, the players missing her in Arsenal more. Do you think do you not think Chilwell and James are, are, are two of the better full-backs or wing-backs in the league and actually missing them is, is actually fundamental to what Chelsea are trying to do? And you end up with Colville playing left back, you know, like I say, Kukurea playing right back, who for me, you know, a couple of months ago, they were trying to flog him to anybody that was that was prepared to have him. And, and now he's having to play right back for him. So, you know, f- for me, I think actually Chilwell and, and James are as, as big a Mrs. Saka as Arsenal. So I think that Chelsea missing James and Chilwell, they've missed them for a fair few weeks, haven't they? So for me, I was looking at the game without them already. I agree with you, though. Those two, two are the best fullbacks in the league, aren't they? Especially in the formation that they play, the role that they, they play for Chelsea. They really suit that style of play. So obviously, they're, they're huge misses, but I was sort of looking at that as them not already playing. Um, like you said, having to shift Colwell out there. But I mean, for Cucurella, for me, it's still a decent, decent fullback. And I actually think that now he's almost being forced into that role. He's, he's been performing well in recent weeks. So actually, I think I don't think it's as big as a miss for having Chilwell, Cucurella, obviously fills in. Um, having Saka out, though, and obviously with the full-backs out for Chelsea, it's not as big of a threat. So I don't think it's as big of a problem for Chelsea as we probably think. It's an interesting period for Chelsea because Chelsea actually go into three London derbies, Arsenal, Brentford, Spurs, followed by Man City. So again, you know, we spoke about that Liverpool, Man City got got some interesting fixtures. Liverpool maybe got an opportunity to kick on. Man City got some tough ones. Chelsea have also got, you know, four really, really tough fixtures, which could, you know, at the end of those four games, I know that we're obviously not going to do the stupidness about them being relegated, but, you know, you could see Chelsea picking up not many points from them four games. You could really drag them back down again after that positivity of their two wins. Obviously, you know, they beat Fulham and they beat Burnley, but again, games that really you would be expecting Chelsea to win. So the next four games are going to be huge for Pochettino and what he's trying to do with the team. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, they've picked up those two wins, which have sort of got them back on track, haven't they? But again, you could say it's... Is it, has it papered over the cracks, which they're expected to beat those sides. But if they do drop a few points here, they are going to drop back down the table. So, yeah, these are really important games to them. And that's why I think, you know, they can't lose this game. Picking up a point against Arsenal will be a really big result for them. In sport, sometimes momentum, isn't it? it you, you, whether it's in cricket in a wicket, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they go from 100 for naught to 110 for four. You know, like once you've, once you've done one thing that just moves the dial, you just, it just, things start to happen, don't they? And actually, you know, for Chelsea, if they could go and beat Arsenal, you know, obviously it's at home, massive, there's going to be, you know, huge crowd. There should be a great atmosphere. You know, if, if they can get that win, that, that could be the win that sets them on, couldn't it? Give them the confidence. Like, if you could beat Arsenal, you could beat anybody. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I look at this game, it'd just be typical of football as well, wouldn't it? Arsenal go and beat Man City, then lose to Chelsea, who everyone is saying how poor they are. It'd just be typical of football. So it's definitely something which could happen, isn't it? So Chelsea have got good players in their squad. So it's not something you look at it and go, Arsenal should be winning this game easily. You know, it is, you know, previously it has been a really close game. I think Arsenal do have the edge, but yeah, I can see Chelsea picking up something. Yeah, I mean, for the last 15 years, Chelsea-Arsenal has been one of the biggest games of the season, right? I mean, they're, they're two absolute heavyweights of, of not just English football, but European football. That could easily have been a Champions League semi-final in any of the last, you know, I appreciate Arsenal haven't been there for a while, but, you know, any of the last 15 years, it would not surprise you if those two teams went deep into a European competition. So, yeah, I, th- I think actually, you know, for me, that, that that's a really exciting game that, that may even mean that I miss the England uh, Rugby World Cup semi-final that's on on Saturday. Mm. Actually, it's on after that. I think uh, it's definitely Sheffield United, Man United is definitely not getting watched because if that's when the England semi-finals on, so we'll def- I'll definitely be maybe catching that one up on highlights. Uh, but before that, there is there is one more game that I think we have to touch on. And again, we talked about you know six pointers and it feels really endless, but but not as far as hosting Luton. Yeah, L- Luton feel like they've moved the dial. It feels like there's a bit more positivity when people talk about Luton. Like not everybody's. Some people even thinking that they might be able to stay up because there's three teams worse than them. Can you see Luton going to Notts Forest and getting anything out of that game at all? For me, I can't see it. I think the the atmosphere at uh, Forest Ground at home, they're, they're relatively solid there. They don't concede a lot of goals. Yes, they don't score a lot of goals as well. And I know that Luton don't really have a lot of firepower. They seem to be you know, they seem to be in games all the while and they fight a lot, but they don't seem to have too much of a goal threat. So for me, I, I do think it's a home win, but I do think it's close. So these are the sort of games that Luton should be targeting. And and, and on the flip side of that, of course, you know, not as far as if, if they're serious, not if they're serious, of course they're serious, but, I said Premier League, but what I'm saying is if, if they want to kind of make, they can't afford to be dropping any points. So, you know, Luton at home for not as far as should be, you know, a bank of three points. You know, you need to be winning these games if, if you've got any aspirations of making this season progression season where you start to think about moving mm. up the table not just survival yeah team, teams like Forest where you know you survived last year that's obviously the aim your, ne- your next aim is to become an established Premier League team isn't it and the three promoted sides at home you should be looking to beat those so yeah I agree you, for Forest this season must win for them they need to be beating these teams to ensure that they're not brought into the, the conversation about relegation they just need to be looking to make themselves an established Premier League team I mean, if you're if you're looking for a, a, a prediction, you know, you'd have to be looking at under two and a half goals. You know, you look at the the, the last Notts Forest games; uh, they beat Chelsea one nil, drew one all with Burnley, lost two nil to Manchester City, one all with Brentford, and nil nil with, with with Crystal Palace. I don't see this being and and to be fair, you know, Luton Luton's games have been tight, haven't they? Generally speaking, one goal in it, they're not getting pumped anymore. Mm. You know, they, they are they are in the game as you said, you know, yeah, full of beating one nil. So, so for me, this is going to be a low score and maybe quite turgid affair with, with maybe Akinwin. Akinwin, I can't say his name. The... I was going to say Akinfemra. It's not him, is it? That, I know what you not... mean, though. <laughs> yeah, the Notts Forest centre forward. He could be the difference, couldn't he, in scoring, yeah. in scoring a goal that, 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 that gets him the three points. Well, he does seem to be their main goal threat, especially now Brennan Johnson has, has gone to Spurs. Um, he does seem to be their main source of goals. The, the worry for for me with Forrest is if his goals do dry up, they do seem a little light, don't they? They don't seem particularly to have a goal threat from anyone else. So, yeah, he could be the difference. And if he's, if he does carry on his scoring run, which has been, um, you know, going on from the end of the season to the end of last season to the current season, they definitely have a chance of winning games. So we, we, we come to our, our now, I'm going to say, I'm going to go big, I'm going to say world famous. Should we go world famous? Uh, world famous. World famous predictions. Obviously, we're still banging on about the time where you got eight out of nine. 
Nine out of ten. Nine out, sorry. Correct. Nine out of ten. But we still didn't win a penny on the five pound challenge. Let's let's get to the predictions first. Uh, we'll do a rundown. And again, I've I've got uh, your challenges information in front of me. Who uh, basically out of nowhere has called you out on social media as someone that he thinks he can beat you. So so this is this is a real uh, real test of Broden's. I'm assuming that's his name because that's certainly his Twitter handle. Uh, Broden's uh, knowledge against yours. So we're going to start obviously with the 12:30 kickoff, which is a minefield to predict. Liverpool versus Everton. We've gone into a little bit of detail. Obviously, Liverpool look like a threat. They can score from 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 lots of different positions and people. Having said that, Everton are on a bit of an up curve. Looks like they've got a specific style of play. They could make the afternoon, uh, early afternoon, awkward for Liverpool. How do you see the game going? I'm going to go Liverpool three, Everton one. Okay, so so Broden is going with the same outcome, however, a different way of doing it. He's gone two nil uh, to Liverpool. I think it's going to be tight now. I see Liverpool winning two one. Uh, I think it's going to be a really tight affair. I think it could be even uh, one of those games that Liverpool needs a, a late sort of eighty minute onwards kind of winner to to, to, to bring home the three points. But I, I do think Liverpool will have too much for Everton, as we all seem to agree. Uh, a really interesting game here. Bournemouth host Wolves. Again, we talk about six-pointers. Here's another one that feels like a six-pointer. Bournemouth have gone really under the radar. I think if Bournemouth... This is going to be my bold statement of the weekend. I think if Bournemouth lose this game, there's a chance the manager goes. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, this is a... You know, we've, we've gone over a couple of games, haven't we? Like, big games. We've skipped this. This is a huge game for both sides. If Wolves win, they sort of pull away from the relegation zone, don't they? Uh, and Bournemouth are right in it. And I agree with you. I think if they lose this, he could go. Yeah, I think it's now again. I, I haven't sort of had a look at the Bournemouth injury. I know they had lots of players out, lots of those key players that they signed over the summer that we spoke about this last week that are out. And again, it's really interesting, isn't it? That, that for me, there's more and more injuries happening by the day. You know, Neymar's now out for God knows how long, if, if not forever. You know, there's, there's more and more injuries happening uh, daily. But hopefully, Bournemouth are back at full strength. But so. Uh, with all of that, is that Bournemouth, you know, tight little ground, obviously. Uh, how do you see the game actually panning out? Who's who's going to win? So I've, I'm predicting Bournemouth nil, Wolves one. I just think Wolves are going to have enough to get the victory. I don't think Bournemouth have got a goal for it. So, yeah, I just think Wolves are just going to have too much for Bournemouth. OK, well, Broden, uh, at Broden Harris 23, for those of you who want to give him some nice messages, uh, it's gone for Wolves two, Bournemouth nil. I actually think this would be a one-all draw. Uh, I think Bournemouth have been a little bit unlucky in some of their games and actually the style of play and the aggressive press uh, against a team like Wolves has got more chance of working and I think mm. actually this will, I think this will end up being a, a, a low scoring uh, draw one all. Uh, another interesting game uh, for many different reasons, you know, and again, Brentford are starting to struggle now. They're, I think they're really starting to feel the, the loss of Raya in gold and the loss of Tony up front. And actually, Brentford are starting to fall down the table and not picking up results like they you would expect against the Burnley team, who obviously need the points to try and get out of this relegation battle. Uh, it's at Brentford. They, generally speaking, are, are, are much stronger at home. Uh, and I, I'm sure everybody will be thinking this is, a, this is a home banker, but how do you see this one going? So I'm not going for a home win. I'm going for Brentford 1, Burnley 1. I think Burnley have got a bit of confidence, just beat Luton, haven't they? Um, so yeah, I, I think Burnley will have enough to get the draw. Like I said, I don't think Brentford have enough to get the win. So yeah, one all. And interestingly, uh, Brogan's gone for Brentford 2, Burnley 1. I, I, I can see this actually being a nil-nil. Uh, mm. I think actually, it, again, another. I, th I think this weekend could be quite a low-scoring weekend. I think, you know, you look at quite a lot of the teams that, that they've found a way of being 
tough to break down without necessarily having some of that that flair to, to, to break down teams. Uh, so actually, I see this, this being quite a tight game where you can actually not, not a huge amount of goals. Even the Man United-Sheffield United game, as an example, you know, in old times, you would say that could be, you know, four, five, six nil. But actually, I think it'll be tighter now. I think it's going to be a, a close game. So uh, Brentford obviously missing that, that that goal threat from even Tony. And, and interestingly, Burnley goalkeeper Trafford is starting to come under some some stick for them fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Burnley fans are starting to turn on him already uh, because obviously it's, it's tough there, you know, being the number one goalkeeper. So it'd be interesting to see how he he handles that. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going for obviously Brome's gone for Brentford two, Burnley one. So uh, again, interesting to see who comes out on top there. And we move back to the Man City Brighton game. We've, we've gone into a little bit more detail about how we see the game going, but but we didn't give a score. So how do you see? You know, do Man City make that a comfortable home win? Obviously, Brighton could be anything, can't they? They, they can score four or concede four just as easily. Mm. So I originally was predicting Man City 2, Brighton 0. But then after we started speaking about the game, I've changed it. So I'm going Man City 2, Brighton 1. I think Brighton will score. Um, so yeah, I, I still think Man City will win 2-1. Well, Broden's gone 3-1 to Man City. Uh, I, I, I think this is the one game that actually has a chance of being a high-scoring game. Uh, and I think actually this could be this could be easily a three-two uh, to Man City. I do see Man City having just too much, uh, but I think it could be really, really intense, and, and arguably could be the game of the weekend. Uh, which again, I'll say it one last time. It's a shame it's a three o'clock kickoff on Saturday, which means we can't watch it. But uh, I'll, I'll definitely be doing a deep dive on, on both the tactical approach of, of that as well to get a sense from even from a coaching point of view what what they've tried to do because I think that's going to be really interesting stylistically. Obviously, Newcastle uh, face Crystal Palace. We've spoken about obviously the the new controversy around the Newcastle player Tenali. You know, does that have an impact? Obviously, Crystal Palace uh, are actually doing pretty well for Crystal Palace, right? You know, like I say, you know, Edward. You know, but they're missing Elise. They're missing Eze. They're missing some big players, and they're still managing to kind of you know hold their own. Obviously, a big win against Man United. Uh, you're keeping clean sheets. They've, I think that Sam Johnson has kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League so far this season on four. Uh, having said all of that. I'm assuming you're going for a relatively comfortable home win. I am. Yeah, I don't think you'll have a clean sheet this game. I'm going Newcastle 2, Palace 0. And Broden's gone big. He's gone 4-0 to Newcastle. Uh, I'm not sure I see Palace conceding four goals, if I'm honest no, with you. I think, I think they're pretty solid, aren't they? Yeah. Although we probably shouldn't be throwing Broden under the bus. What? Ah, let's throw him under the bus. 4-0. You're not... <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> if it comes in now, this is going to come back and bite so us it's, on the co- it's coming in, isn't it? It's coming in 4 0. Get your money on it. <laughs> you know what? I'm putting a quid on it now, that's for sure, just in case to cover myself. I'm putting a quid on it. Uh, spoke about it just now. Obviously, not as far as host Luton. Uh, six points, all of that kind of good stuff. Obviously, at home, like you just talked about, the, the home fans are fantastic. Uh, you know, potentially maybe enough to sort of bring them home or not. How do you see it going? I agree with you, under two and a half goals, Forest two, Luton nil. Don't think uh, Luton have enough to score at uh, Forest. I, I, I agree. I think actually one nil personally. I don't, I don't see either team scoring two, uh, but Broden's gone for a score draw here, one all. Uh, so again, there's some differentiations coming through here. Uh, so at least we, we won't get into a tie break, that's for sure. Uh, Chris, oh, sorry, Chelsea, uh, as we've spoken about, host Arsenal. This one's going to be interesting to see where you go with this one. Where are you seeing it go? I'm going Chelsea nil, Arsenal one. I think with some of the players out, I still think it stifles their attacking ability. But I think defensively, Arsenal are really solid. So I can't see Chelsea scoring. I think Arsenal will nick it. 
Interesting. I, 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 see, I, I think you know Raheem Sterling, Jackson look like he's Madrid. Obviously, looks like he's come back. To, I think actually Chelsea might be able to cause Arsenal some 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 damage. And actually, Arsenal look a little bit more susceptible, as similar to Liverpool, in the sense that they look like they concede more goals than they did last season. Uh, so I, I think Chelsea will score, but but Broden doesn't. He thinks it's going to be three 0 to Arsenal. So he thinks it's going to be very very comfortable. I think that's probably a bit brave. I see this one being two one uh, to Arsenal. I do think Arsenal are obviously a better team. They're one of the best teams in Europe at the moment. Uh, so I do see that being uh, a win, but 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 maybe a tight one at that. We've slagged this game off loads. It's, this is probably going to end up five four. But Sheffield playing Man U. Uh, the eight o'clock kickoff on a Saturday night. Which again, I'm not, I'm not a great fan of the eight o'clock Saturday kickoff. For me, it has to be a really, really you know, banging game to, to mm. want to kind of watch football that late in the day on a Saturday. Uh, but but how do you see this one panning out? So I'm going Sheffield one, Man United two. I think United just being so susceptible and looking like they could get beat to anyone. I think Sheffield will score, but I can see United having enough to beat Sheffield. With an honouring goal. Yeah, they exactly. They, they have to score two. So he's definitely conceding a goal. Uh, Sheffield will score from a set piece. There you go. Another bold prediction. Former manager getting sacked, and Sheffield will score from a from a, from a set piece of some description. Uh, Broden is on the same page as you. He's gone naught two, so Sheffield United zero, Man United two. Uh, so not massive difference in terms of where you think, uh, but some difference within the scores. And and actually, there's only one game on Sunday this week, uh, and a really interesting game in many different ways. Uh, not just because they both wear the same colour kit. Aston Villa host West Ham. Two teams that, that are doing, you know, some really good things this season that we've not touched on today. But we have definitely praised both in the in the not too distant past. Uh, this is a really difficult one to predict for me. But but so Aston Villa, West Ham, what have you got? I think because both teams are so good and you know, generally defensively have been really good as well. I'm going one all. I can't split the two. I think they're both good sides and I think they'll both have chances. So yeah, one all. Well. Uh, Broden's gone two all, so you, you're on the same page. I actually think Aston Villa uh, will win. I think uh, it will be a tight game again. I think it'll be two one, one nil. I think there'll be only one goal in it. I think it'll be a tight game. I don't see there being, uh, you know, a kind of a thumping by anybody. But I, th- I think Aston Villa will just have enough with their attacking options. I think they'll be able to kind of, you know, midfield very similar in the matchup for me. And I think Ollie Watkins looked like he was in, you know, some good confident form at the weekend, playing for England, obviously scoring the goal. Uh, I think they, they might just have enough to, to get over the line. And, and last but not least, and they're top of the league, but we've not even mentioned their name in, in, in anger. Spurs host Fulham. Obviously, a uh, little bit of noise around some of the, the Spurs players. Obviously, uh, Perisic and Solomon out long term. Min Son's carrying a knock. Romero got a knock playing for Argentina. So, so there's a little bit of potential kind of squad juggling to do. I'm going to go with Broden's first because he's gone big. He's gone Spurs four, Fulham nil, which I don't see happening at all. Uh, what are you going for, Fran? I think Spurs will win and I think it'll be comfortable. So I'm going Spurs two, Fulham nil. I just can't see, again, where Fulham's goal threat is. They've beaten teams below them, haven't they? But when better teams have come against them, they've beaten them pretty comfortably. So yeah, Spurs two, Fulham nil. Yeah, Fulham, Fulham are one of them teams, aren't they? They're on exactly the same points as, as Chelsea, 11 points from eight games. But if a couple of them teams beneath them are Brentford and Wolves, Everton, you know, start to pick up so very quickly, that position could go from 12th to 16th very quickly. Aren't they? They're in that mm. position where, you've got, like we've said last week, you know, uh, Mitrovic, uh, you know, you, how, how do you replace a player like that? You know, we spoke about it with, with Tony, with, with Spurs and Harry Kane, you know, missing your, your, your key man and they've replaced him with someone that, let's be honest, is not at the same, Carlos Vinicius is not, is not the same type of player as Mitrovic. You know, Mitrovic was 20 goals a season, wasn't he? Mm. Uh, 
he's going to be They've replaced him with Jimenez, haven't they, from Wolves, which five years ago would have been an amazing wow. signing, but he's not he's not been the same player since his head injury, has he? So yeah, I agree. I think I think they don't have goals in them and that's why I can see them beating teams around them, but better teams I can see them beating them. And uh, is is there any forfeit if, if Broden uh beats you on the predictions, is there any forfeit from you that that, that we we're gonna need to, to take or are we just gonna let it slide on the table and not mention it ever again? No, I was I was gonna say if he if he beats me, we can, he can come live on the next pod if he wants and he can have another crack if he wants. A return ever what what if we beat you when it stays on? Winner yeah, he can he can just replace me for good. <laughs> I'm up for that. <laughs> 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 Winner stays on. We, you, you can cut as long as he keeps beating. You can come on every week. Uh, but on a serious note, uh, thank you very much for the challenge. Genuinely, thank you very much for the challenge. Uh, always love it when people don't just kind of throw you know wild sort of statements out that they actually back it up. And here's my here's my prediction. So so he's gone toe to toe. You know, we're obviously confident in your friend. Don't worry. Uh, but bro, get yourself ready for next week. You might be you might be replacing the big man if you if you if you give him a good shoe in. Uh, having said that. Uh, it's going to have to be on correct scores because a lot of your predictions are very similar. So it's going to be a it's going to be a tight one, that's for sure. Uh, okay, so we talked about uh, obviously our five hand challenge that we never get right. Let's see where you're going this week. So obviously, uh, for me, just to give you an early heads up, I think it's going to be under two and a half. So is going to be the way I'm going uh, rather than match results because actually that's proven to be quite tricky as you, you even joked about it earlier around you know it'll probably end up being 4-0 to a team because we've said they're not going to win so so what have you what have you got your eyes on for this weekend friend on your challenge so I think I'm going to go pretty safe with some home bankers I can't tell you the odds so I've not put them in but I'll tell you the team so I'm going Newcastle at home Spurs at home and Forest at home three homes so I don't think you'll get rich off that but we're going to try and make some money aren't we so yeah uh, Newcastle Forest Spurs all to win Okay. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to go under two and a halves, and I'm going to go under two and a halves in the Bournemouth Wolves game, in the Brentford Burnley game, in the Notts Forest Luton game, and the Newcastle Palace game. So I think there'll be four games there that are under two and a half goals. Uh, you watch them all be now six goal thrillers. But to be fair, do you know what? I'd probably be okay with that. To be, I'd probably pay a fiver for them to be six goal thrillers because at least it's entertaining for the fans. Yeah, I think those those uh, games that you shouted out, though, with the exception of Newcastle that do have attacking talent, the other teams don't, do they? So you can see those being really low scoring games. Yeah, as as we said, you know, it's it's who knows anymore. <laughs> You know, genuinely, if you can pick three winners anymore, you know, even going down the leagues, some of the results that have happened this season are absolutely bonkers. So, yeah, I, I think uh, for me, I'm going to try and stay clear of, of winners and just look at the, the logic and the maths of corners, cards and goals and, and see if that brings me any more joy because trying to pick three three winners in the Premier League has become nine impossible for me. Mm. I, think, um, I think something going forwards that I've been looking at as well is draws. We, we landed a big one last year, didn't we, with a cheeky cash out in the 96th minute. But there seems to be a lot of, where teams are very hard to split. More often than not, they are being draws and you're getting good odds for them. So I think if you can pick a couple of draws as well, boost your odds massively. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Because there's so many late goals now after 90 minutes that as long as you're switched on and you're engaged and you cash out on the 85th, 86th minute, there's lots of games that were a draw and 85 minutes end up not being a draw. Mm. So as long as you've got your, your, your kind of marbles about you and, you and you're engaged in the game, 
actually that could be a really good shout because that's going to give you the biggest sort of cash return. Mm. And that's what we're here for, aren't we? Just a little return. It'd be nice. Every now and again, it'd be nice. Uh, Fran, as always, buddy, uh, really enjoyed that. Obviously, this one's a little bit weird where we've not got any actual games to sort of talk about, but looking forward to the, the weekend ahead. Obviously, uh, hope England rugby team get back to a World Cup final as well. Uh, we probably won't talk about it by the time next week's round because we'll be so involved in all of the football, but uh, hoping for some really good fixtures. Like I say, as always, my favourite hour of the week, Fran, thank you so much. And thank you again, Broden, for your... Uh, your input if there's anybody else out there how can they reach out to us Fran if they want to get involved in the predictor as, as an example so I think the best way is to do what Broden did Broden literally just sent us a direct message or replied to one of the tweets um, just saying I'd like to challenge so yeah get in touch with us on Twitter or X um, and search for the atmosphere is electric let's say send us a direct message or reply to any of the tweets um, you can also reply to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts by sending us a voice note awesome good stuff Fran thank you very much for your time I look forward to speaking to you next week